Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the All Portable Discussion Zone. It's a bi-weekly live stream all about amateur radio portable ops. And my name is Charlie. Call sign is November Julia 7 Victor. With me this evening is uh, uh, our guest, Alan, November Mike 5 Sierra. And uh, Dan, KC7MSU, and Brian, W7JET, are uh, predisposed at the moment. I think Dan may be having some technical trouble and may join us a little later. Uh, so before we get going here, I just wanted to also welcome those of you who are watching live and also who will be watching later. And those of you who are currently in the chat, it might be a little bit difficult for me to, to respond to some of your chats because uh, your chat questions and, and the comments because uh, usually Dan and Brian help out with that. But I'll do my best. So appreciate you being here and, and go ahead and leave your comments and questions there in the live chat and we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, also, don't forget that this show is usually converted to a podcast right around 24 hours after the show uh, ends. And so you can go ahead and look for it in the podcast form on uh, uh, your local podcast, if you like. So before we get caught up on what's been going on the last couple of weeks, I do have one really quick, uh, not announcement, but a piece of information that somebody asked me to share. And so I'll go ahead and do that real quick. Let me share my screen and, and pop up uh, what I'm... Uh, talking about here. So uh, so let's see. Let me just escape out of this real quick and, and uh, go back to the email. So it's uh, W4MPS. Uh, his name is Mark. He sent me this, uh, this uh, PDF form announcement. It's the North Carolina QSO party. Uh, uh, and that's going to be next Sunday, a week from today, February 26, 2023. And that's a contest that runs from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. So I encourage you guys to participate in that. It looks like there's going to be a commemoration for the uh, for the uh, Wright brothers, and there's some special stations here that spell out Wright. Uh, w uh, the the last character of these is it spells out Wright, and so it's 120 120th anniversary of the Wright brothers. So uh, more information you can find that at ncqsoparty.org. www.ncqsoparty.org. So. Uh, let me just uh, pull this off now, and we'll get back over to the regular part of our program. So as I mentioned, we have uh, have uh, Alan with us. And so before we uh, get uh, into Alan, I want to just kind of bring us up to speed on what we've been up, what I've been up to anyway, for the last, uh, I don't know, couple of weeks. So um, I think that uh, mostly what I've been involved in with ham radio, I've, I've been uh, really enjoying 10 meters lately. I haven't made a whole bunch of contacts, but, but every once in a while I'll hop on and every time I do, it's, it's been just on fire. I think the solar flux is really high these last week or so, and so it's been fun. Uh, Sandy and I, my wife, have been doing soda, trying to get her uh, more points for her uh, towards her mountain goat. She's around 515 points now, I think, 500 and something. And we just did a summits on the air activation about a week ago. And for that activation, we actually did four different hikes, four different uh, soda peaks. Uh, three of the four were were winter bonus, and so we ended up with I think 41. Uh, is that right? 41 points. Yeah. So it would have been 44. Cause they were all eight pointers, but, uh, pretty fun, uh, activations. Not often I get a, get to do four in one day. So, uh, I thought that was quite the accomplishment. Uh, let's see what else is going on. I'm just, uh, trying to get, uh, ready for, for, I know it's a ways out yet, but, uh, trying to get my thoughts collected and prepare for, um, for Dayton. We'll be there that next, this uh, coming year in at Dayton. And I want to send out an email here to, to, uh, kind of coordinate a meetup for all the soda people that'll be at Dayton. 
And so I think that's about it for me. Let me turn it over and introduce you to Alan. So Alan, uh, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Well, ham radio-wise, not much. Been uh, <laughs> preparing for a couple things. Uh, in about a week, I'm heading up to British Columbia for a cross-country ski trip with a local club that's into that stuff. But it just happens that where I'm staying is at the base of a soda peak. Ooh, and there you go. It wasn't actually activated. The first activation was just a couple days ago. Uh so I'm looking forward to hopefully some decent enough weather to uh, activate that that summit. Also, I think it'll take about a four hour, no, four mile, maybe four hours uh, to climb the <laughs> hill on my cross country skis. Yeah, there's yeah. there are special uh, these winter activations. Anybody who's tried them is knows there's you better have your stuff in order because they're a little trickier. Your yeah. fingers can freeze pretty quickly. <laughs> well, that's a really cool man. You know, I when I was talking to you, so we were talking at Quartz uh, uh, Fest, you and I, in in your van, and uh, just kind of talking a little bit about soda. And that's kind of where I uh, was hearing some of your stories and was it became quite impressed with with some of the stuff you do. Um, without revealing too much or embarrassing you too much, uh, what's your? How old are you? I mean, don't you don't have to tell me the exact age, but what decade no, are you in? No. Uh, 73. So you're 73 and you are skiing down mountains, huh? Well, <laughs> very gently, <not> very <laughs> <Yeah>. steep. <laughs> I have been yeah. skiing though for, you know, more than 50 years. So uh -huh. I figured out a few things. Uh, yeah. I don't want to be injured. Of course, none of us do. Everything oh. takes longer to heal up. Of course, as we get older, uh, keep that in mind, but I, I've done a number of winter activations and uh i had some trouble with one or two of them where uh just it just became too risky just too cold yeah. it just yeah oh boy yeah. i so frozen i can't get my gloves on yeah i've had a few of those too so i've not i mean I've, i was just finished up quickly and headed 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 back out but i haven't really stopped an activation are you, are you saying you had to turn around before you could activate no usually setting up i think the first one was an abject failure where i it was the first one of the first activations and it was in colorado way up high uh just everything was coming you know i'd set the antenna up it come down the connectors i had i wasn't that prepared and it was uh hooking like a coupler up and then trying to tune it and get the gloves back on before the fingers didn't work again i, I think uh in when I finally realized my thumbs were so cold, I couldn't work a zipper and <laughs> I couldn't get my hand warmers, which I always have with me. I couldn't actually tear them open and put them in my gloves. And I think I was very lucky to have some friends close by that came back to check on me and sort of rescued me. Yeah. Well, so, got to be careful in the winter. For sure. Yeah. I, I like to do some of those winter activations with my wife and, and yeah, we make sure we plan well and uh, have plenty of warm clothes. It can, it can sneak up on you for sure. Yes. All right. Well, so let's talk a little bit about, um, about you, um, get people a little background. So can you start by telling us a little bit about where you're from, what your kind of your background is growing up a little bit? Sure. Uh, I grew up in New England, kind of rural part of New England, Massachusetts. Uh, the Northern Berkshires, if you're familiar with that area. And uh, 
kind of got into ham radio as a about 16 year old kid, high school kid, pre, uh, this is 1964. Okay. Doing things uh, by the seat of my pants, not really knowing how to do them, but just trying anyway. Uh, one of the funnier things was trying to learn Morse code. Uh, at least I had a friend in high school that was also trying to learn it. But my dad had a friend who did Morse in the army, Second World War you know, had no idea how to teach it other than, uh, you know, he, he could uh, just type it with a key, you know, a typewriter at about 45 words a minute, but to try to teach someone else, I don't know how they forced it down their throats, but they <laughs> learned it, but he couldn't get me going, unfortunately. No. Well, so how, it was a bit of a battle. Yeah. How did you learn Morse code? Uh, kind of the way they don't really recommend, you know, where you start at that extremely slow speeds uh it's a it takes a lot more effort i think and uh at least i had one and then another couple people that joined in from high school the geek squad back then i guess and we uh we worked at it and worked at it and finally got it going so we could pass our general tests uh yeah. ultimately i went to engineering school and studied electronic electrical engineering and let's see, it was uh, after college, I did a couple of years in the Peace Corps. Oh, you did? Actually got to do ham radio there. It was in huh. Ecuador, South America. And uh, though they wanted me to do other things, they weren't prepared for some of the other engineering tasks they had for me. But they did have a, a whole uh, system of HF radios that needed to get repaired I would uh, set up stations to the most remote volunteers, people out in the jungles or way out where there wasn't much going on. Even the Galapagos Islands, that was a fun trip to get uh, going. Wait, but, you went, you, did, were you at the Galapagos Islands? Yes. Well, I mean, that was not my main uh, spot. I was moving around a lot, but they needed a station out there for some of the volunteers. Huh. Wow. So, you've, that's amazing. a lot hauled these old eight uh, Heathkit one band radios, 40 meter radios that we used slightly out of band and set up dipoles and generators and such get people had a, had a, uh, a weekly net where we hear about supplies that were needed, things like that. It well, was so, a lot of fun. So this, this is an interesting thing. I didn't know about you, but I'm not surprised. You, you're a very interesting person. So, um, you know, we talk about portable radio on this on this show, and it sounds like you were into portable radio early on, huh? Yes, uh, pretty early. I mean, I've you always hear of people that do crazier stuff than what you ever even imagined. There yeah. was actually, I'll tell one quick story of this uh, old story of a club that was getting ready for field day and they had this uh mountain they were gonna haul all their gear up to and set their tents and this is you know pre solid state days and they haul up these radios and the generators and just as they're making the last push over the edge to be get onto this flat spot where they're going to operate they saw another club was already set up there oh no well they had <laughs> wasted that trip and had to go somewhere else I, you know, hauling generators, my Lord. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Pants. Yeah. Well, things have come down in size and, and weight a lot since then, haven't they? 
Oh, hell yes. <laughs> you know, okay. little well, ATS rigs, they're great. Yeah, the ATS rigs. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. So your career was in, in engineering. Where, where did you work mostly? Uh, when I I went actually straight from graduation into the Peace Corps. Okay. I didn't work immediately uh, there. Uh, there was That was 1971, and a lot of the defense jobs that had really bloomed in size during the Vietnam era, they were all shrinking. And I looked for a while, but I gave up looking for a job, and some friends suggested the Peace Corps, and it's like, well, that might be fun. And indeed, it was a, a great experience. I got to repair radios and fix things and scrounge from broken old TV sets, parts, and really learned a lot about troubleshooting in those days. So it was oh. a real good thing for me. Yeah, you know, a lot of people would, including myself, would 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 uh, give a left arm to have that type of experience. You know, uh, a lot of people in the hobby in ham radio don't necessarily... Uh, have that engineering background and especially don't have troubleshooting experience. And uh, of course, you know, the technology has changed and, but, but you know, the concepts are still the same and the, and the techniques that you use to troubleshoot are still the same. I would love to have that, you know, background and that experience. And I'm just kind of learning as we go, as I go, and I'm still not that great at it, but that's, that's cool. I, I think it might sound like a, oh, it is, I guess it's, it is truly a brag when I came back from the Peace Corps and I, was looking for a job. I got a job with a field service company. When they saw, gee, you're out there by yourself fixing things, uh, and, you know, by yourself. I think you'd be really good trying to repair our equipment all around the world. So I, I joined this company and when they finally sent me to fix something, it was actually in Newark, New Jersey. And it was a place none of the other field service people wanted to go. It was kind of a nasty spot. And I think I went on a Friday afternoon and they didn't hear from me until Monday morning when I just showed up back at work and the boss just comes running out of his office and screaming at me, you never leave a job until you've repaired it. You, you know, what you never called us to say what you needed to fix whatever it was, you know? And I said, well, I figured out what I needed and there was, a, it was a, kind of a fancy video unit and there was some things in that video unit it had like 20 circuit boards in it and there was some things we didn't use so I pulled a board that we weren't using and stole some parts off it and put it in the part that had broken and uh boy were they impressed and then I got all <laughs> the best jobs after that yeah <laughs> being a little awesome. more resourceful for stuff. yeah that that is totally a brag. That's awesome. That that uh, is a demonstration of your uh, definitely have the knack for sure. <laughs> well, it was a good thing for that company, so I, I got to do more fun things. Yeah. So. Was there any other uh, work experience that you had, or is that you just kind of stuck with that company? I stuck with a number of companies in those years. I uh, field service related, repair related, something called uh, job shopping you know, where you take these temporary jobs where someone's not available. And I had a, I got a very wide uh, assortment of jobs and learned a lot of, I really enjoyed that very much, you know, going in for a few months or even sometimes just a few weeks and saw all kinds of various electronic gear. So it was a good experience. Ultimately, 
in, gee, I guess now 45 years ago when I moved from the East Coast, the Boston area, to New Mexico, uh, I started doing some work for the National Laboratory. And it was similar where they said, oh, they liked, they really very much liked that I knew about ham radio gear. The first guy that hired me actually had, was really, he wasn't a ham, but he was sure into building electronic gear and had built a very fancy receiver from scratch. I mean, so we got along real well and it was That's a lot of fun. Interesting. All right. Well, let's see. Let's go ahead and uh, move on from that. And I just wanted to talk to you more about uh, portable radio. So what, first thing is, how long have you been uh, doing Summits on the Air? I think it's about 13 years. Uh, maybe two years after. Oh, hi, Dan. After, you know, it kind of came to this continent. Uh, I was actually on a soda peak. I didn't even know what soda was. Never heard mm -hmm. of it. Never paid any attention. And I was operating portable at the top of this little mountain here near us. And 20 meter CW. Uh, it's a place I'd been before. I throw a wire up in the tree and call CQ. And the majority of time, I would maybe get one person, a lot of times nobody at all. Then I'd eat my sandwich and head back down. Well, this time I got a call from a local ham and it was Fred, KT5X W Soda. Oh, I know him. Yeah. He said, uh, hey, if you really want some action, I'll set, you know, you tell people you're on this reference number. And anyway, I, you know, some minutes later, he put it on the web and I had a little pile up and it was like, oh, this is like way more fun. Uh, certainly, that's a good place to say that I am uh, acknowledge that I'm very lucky to live in an area where there's some local and very special soda operators and activators and chasers who have helped immensely with all kinds of ideas, uh, not Fred, uh, John DePrimo, K1JD. He's very meticulous engineer who's uh, built up these multi-band trap antennas. Just some sharp, sharp guys and a number of other hams too in the Albuquerque area. Everybody, it's a great group and it uh, we help each other. We do a lot of activations in unison. I think I've had well, I guess there was at least one time where I had about four hams on one peak. Uh, I was thinking that was the most, but no, no. When we, years ago, Fred KT5X organized a soda rendezvous, and it was when the very first mountain goats in North America uh, got together up in Colorado, and we activated a bunch of peaks. And I think there was one case where we, I don't know. We had more than 10 soda operators, I think, at one summit. So that's, wow. That's a little much. That's amazing. That's great, though. I mean, I, how did you, how did you manage that, though? Did you have to take turns or what? Uh, you know, I can I can barely remember. I was think there were so many people heading up to this little mountain outside of Buena Vista that I think some people worked people on the way up, that sort of thing. I think that's kind of frowned upon a bit, you know, working people that are just about to get to the activation zone kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you know, I mean, sometimes it's, it's a last resort that uh, I think is it's legal. And so, <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Yeah. yeah, it's the fun is doing the hiking. I mean, that's what comes first to me. Uh, yeah. Even when sometimes the the interesting part to me is if it's not a new summit, well, maybe we found a new way to get up to the old summit. Uh, you know, I've done summits where I've walked, where I've uh, snowshoed up. I've ridden a bicycle, mountain bike part of the way. I'm always interested in a new way just to make it more interesting. Yeah, yes, it makes it funner. Uh, you know Tim, Tim Keen, right? He says yeah. hi. Oh yeah. yeah. I I uh, I know Tim. He he uh, gave me the idea to do that uh, pressure paddle that I made a while ago. So um, it took me a while to finally get to it, but uh, I appreciate him and what he's uh, he's he's a really good guy and and has a lot of good ideas too, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Tim is really pursued that little facet. He's uh, been a great help too. I, I had such a CW uh, block, I guess, because I'd hear his call, K5DEZ. And every time I heard the DE, you know, the brain <laughs> oh, yeah. right. And it yeah. took many tries to get him right. Yeah. Same thing For when I, I've been called. There's another activator, not so active now, NN, NM5S, uh, Tom, SW, NM5SW. But when I hear my own call, before I hear the W, it just, I don't know, it shuts off my brain and I can't copy for a little while. I'm yeah. like, whatever. I always had with, with Tim, I always, uh, I remember, I, I recognize his call sign, but I could never remember his name for, I don't know, probably almost a year. I, I who was that guy? <laughs> I finally got him down. Well, all right. Well, let's see. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit before we get into some of the, uh, some of the modifications that you do and talking about your gear and stuff like that. Before that, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of your accomplishments for summits on the air, because I think, I think they're quite incredible. Um, do you want to talk about them yourself? What, what things do you feel uh, most proud of in your uh, accomplishments for summits on the air? Yeah, good question. Because I, I'm trying to remember when it was, I, the first person in North America to get to 500 unique summits. I was sending, that's Dan, uh, NA6MG, North America, number six mountain goat. But right. he uh, got to 500 first, and I was sending a congratulatory email to him, which I did, and when he responded, he put in some comment like, isn't that what it's all about? You know, the adventure of the summits, in other words, rather than these points. And because right. uh, I had more points than Dan at the time. And it really got me thinking that, yeah, you know, that that is more of what I really enjoy, the research to find the summit and what other people have done. And so starting, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I really focused on just uniques because it is uh, it is more fun. I mean, I still want to go out to some of these local summits, but I don't do it as much now. Now I'm always planning some getaway to do some more somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Me so too. I, I, I think I, I have 8,000 something points, which mean less to me than they used to, I guess. Uh, I think at the highest, I was about number 10 in the world for points. Yeah. Whoopee. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's just not a fair system, and I guess we all know that. It, it's uh, why is, you know, certain things, you can drive up something in New Mexico here and get 10 points, or other places, Arizona particularly, but you're not driving up uh, in a lot of places there. That's not going to happen. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, I, I, I've had discussions with a few people, particularly a couple people in the Vancouver area in Canada, in the British Columbia area. They have some tough, I mean, and also in New Zealand, uh, those are a couple of areas where I really feel like it's, you know, what they do when they go out and just do a two or a four pointer is incredible <laughs> compared to what we do. But you're right, you know, but, the, and that's why, yeah, I, I, those are the two things that I actually looked at on the, uh, Soda uh, database, uh, when I looked you up, uh, was the 8,500 points. Uh, so that's eight time goats. Uh, but also I did notice, I did note the 534 unique activations, which uh, I think would be, in my mind, it's, it's something that would be I would be most proud of too. And then, of course, making it to the top of a summit over a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> that's also amazing so and, and and what you're talking about is so true i right now myself uh, i i want to reach that threshold i'm almost at four thousand points for goat uh, so i get my fourth one but it's less important than those uniques i i just started focusing on uniques probably six months to a year ago i think i'm i don't even know what i'm at i think i'm at 150 right now so i've got a long ways to go but uh, that leads to another question. Uh, first of all, well, before I get to that question, Kent here, N6WT says he's been he, you've been in his log fifty times, which is which is nice uh, to be in the log that much. So, but what yeah. I wanted to ask you is um, how many states you've activated in? Because obviously, if you've done that many uniques, you kind of run out of accessible peaks, uh, and so you have obviously activated multiple places other than just New Mexico. Do you, do you know off the top of your head how many different states you've activated in? I don't. I don't. Okay. Uh, I, there's a lot of them to go, though. It just yeah. takes a lot more traveling. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I, whenever I've done a cross-country trip, which I've done a number of them, I try to find a few new ones along the way. But there's huge, you know, 500 miles and more areas that have absolutely nothing to activate. Right. Especially in the middle of the, of the United States, right? Yeah. Well, one thing to add to the, you know, this thing with points is uh, fun has absolutely nothing to do with the point value. I had one trip when I was visiting relatives in Maine and I spent a day with uh, W1DMH, Doug, uh, and he took me around and we did four summits. He was really looking for uniques, but we couldn't get to any of the uniques that day but we did four summits a very long day they were all one point and it was gorgeous they all it was a perfect weather day there was foliage in the fall there was ocean views mountain views of forested areas it was just wonderful those four yeah. points were treasured very yeah. good that's the point. Yeah, I, I'm glad you make that point. And uh, we've made it before, but I'm glad you made it again, which is that the program is really just made. I mean, there's a point system, obviously, but it's really just to get you out there and and, and enjoy nature and, and have fun on the radio out in nature. So I, I appreciate that you have that same appreciation as many of us do. Uh, so quick question that came in here, and then I have one more, and then we're going to transition. So two more questions, and then we'll transition to um, some of your gear and talk a little bit about, about some of your mods and stuff. So, uh, Ed says, quick question. Are there any soda sites in the Poconos? Do you know the answer to that? I have no idea. Oh, I definitely think so. Uh, but I'm trying to remember if I've worked any, I, I think when I visited, uh, and driven back and forth to Western Massachusetts, Northwestern Massachusetts, I did get in there, uh, 
gee, but I can't remember those details. Yeah, well, let's, let's just do something on the on the fly here. How about that? Let's uh, let's uh, let's go find out. What do you say? Let's uh, go to the uh, map, uh, Sotless map, and we'll zoom out. Uh, Poconos, I don't even know where that is, so I'm glad you do. <laughs> it's in the Massachusetts area. Uh, yeah, eastern part of New York State, upper New York State, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, well, so here's here's uh, New York State. So the eastern part would be kind of, let me zoom out to get away. I can't differentiate between Pennsylvania and New York, but kind of it looks like this area here, like where Wilkes Burr is, Wilkes Bar, maybe in that area. It looks like there's plenty of summits in and around that area. So that's good. Yeah, I've explored Pennsylvania some, but I just not real familiar at all with where exactly the Poconos are. Yeah, I don't know either, but this is kind of, I mean, I don't, we won't spend a lot of time, but there, there's that. So um, that might answer your question. Uh, Ed, Pennsylvania, he says Poconos are in Pennsylvania. So yeah, there's plenty of summits there. Um, so the next question for you, Alan, before we move on is, um, what are some of your most interesting locations you've activated uh, summits on the air? And we had a discussion about one that I want you to to repeat to, to the crowd, but I know there might be others. So uh, go take it away. Boy, there are a lot of them that are in my head uh, that were special in one way or another. Sometimes there's a local one here uh, called Santa Fe Baldy. Not particularly hard. You know, you can do it in a day hike, though it's a long one, about 14 mile. Let's see. Yeah, it's about 14 miles. But to to get the timing right, to be there before anybody else got up there, and then to have the whole summit to myself for a while and see the weather approaching and be able to finish up and get out of there and see people kind of... Uh, I'm basically running for cover and they're still heading up and I'm thinking this is a real bad idea above tree line. But uh, all's well, it ends well. I never heard of any injuries there. Just had some, gee. Some... What about the, I wanted you to talk a little bit about Devil's Tower, right? Yeah, I, I uh, somehow got it in my craw that I wanted to activate Devil's Tower. Uh, I don't even. I don't know that I can explain it. Well, so I tell know. us what tell us what Devil's Tower is first of all. Devil's I mean... Tower is the. I think it was the very first national monument in the United States system of monuments and it's that very uh iconic shape of a volcanic plug uh in wyoming it's uh oh yeah boy you got plenty of images there yeah. it kind of looks impossible to get up but of course we know there's uh there's always seems to be a way for people to figure it out uh they yeah that one does absolutely take real climbing you know there's got to be ropes involved in climbing gear, there's no secret little way to hike up that thing. Uh, anyway, I decided I, someone had a climber actually, that was a ham did activate it some years before on two meters, but I decided, boy, that would be a cool thing. And I started learning climbing at my local climbing center here. After reading, I saw that, gee, you don't have to be an expert. There's a lot of routes up that thing. And there's one that's probably doable by someone with some, you know, a moderate amount of experience. So that's what I went for. And I spent about 
nine months preparing. They rate technical climbs, this 5.8 scale for that. And I think they rated it at a 5.8 plus was the easiest route. And I started in the gym and sort of the easiest climbs in a gym are probably a 5.6. So it's like, oh, I should be able to get there. And I got so eventually I could climb some 5.8 routes in the gym. But when I called to get uh, learn about the mountain, where to stay and find a climbing guide, uh, they said, ah, forget those numbers. They don't mean anything at all. You know, it's very different. Forget about it. It's all on how bad you want to get up there. It's like, sounded pretty odd. In fact, I ended conversation with that guy after that and called a different climbing guide. And he basically said the same thing. Uh, so anyway, I kept preparing. I didn't do my homework that well to realize what kind of climbing was required, why they have trouble to rate it. But it was because it was something called off-width climbing, these these cracks that are unusual wider widths, something you don't just put your finger in and make a fist and, and, and go. They're trickier than that. Uh, many, many, many people, of course, have climbed this thing. Uh, but for a beginner, it was uh, quite the battle. Uh, it took probably, I think, about three to four hours for me to get up that thing. It was five pitches you know they keep re-rigging the rope uh much i mean i barely could do it it was uh the the guide i hired just couldn't believe i wasn't giving up because i would inch my really literally inch my way up a crack and then slide down and have to do it again uh very bruised very bloody knees elbows shoulders ankles feet you know, it was, uh, for me, it was an a, amazing accomplishment to finally stick my head over the edge and, and claim that one. Yeah. Uh, so tired. I, I really wondered if I was going to be able to walk over to where I would start to rappel down. I mean, rappelling is sort of easy. Part of it, gravity takes over. Uh, but I hurt so badly. I, uh, I needed some serious rest up there before I could <laughs> get down, yeah. which was the wonderful part of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, so a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about here. So there's some comments here also. So first of all, Devil's Tower, that's where the UFOs hang out. Uh, Robert, you're yeah. right. The Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Devil's Tower was featured in that movie, those of you who have seen it. So uh, uh, Dick... He says, total respect. I have the same respect for you as well. Uh, Adam, who you might know, K6ARK, yes. he explains that the off width is too wide for hands and feet to wedge in them, but too narrow to get your whole body into. Wow. And he says, that's probably the hardest crack size, <laughs> meaning rocks, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Kevin has made some just incredible videos. Really enjoyed them. Uh, yeah. You've probably seen them too, I suppose, yeah. Charlie. Yeah. Yep, I have. Yep, he's uh, he's great. Uh, know, the other thing, yeah, go oh, ahead. Uh, just a little bit more on that climb. To uh, not realizing, I mean, I think I I read that. Oh, you'd have to do some crack climbing, and it's like, all right. Well, I went to the gym and put my hand in a crack, and it doesn't seem that bad. And then finally, to actually be presented with a 
say a 70 foot uh, piece of climb uh, and somehow made it up. And I'm like, oh God, I'm glad I got that over with. And then look at that belay station. And then I have to go up and I look and it's like at least a hundred more feet of the same thing. Uh, wow. I just, uh, <laughs> it was hard. It yeah. was very hard. Yeah. Well, so uh, those of you who don't know, it is uh, in Wyoming. So if you can see my mouse here, this is Wyoming. It's in the upper right corner. So north uh, east corner of Wyoming. It's kind of highlighted there in blue. And you'll see that uh, as Alan says, there was a guy who did it in 2016 who was a rock climber and then him. And that's it. It's just been the two. Uh, probably maybe because it's a one point summit. <laughs> I don't know. Well. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Wow, that's that's just so amazing. I I just uh, I'm so impressed with that with that, Alan. Well, points better. Than, it wouldn't be what you choose for points, that's for sure. Well, so it it just speaks to what we were talking about earlier, where it is the points don't matter. It's it's the challenge. It's doing something. It's getting out there. Uh, Ed says, "Mad respect, man." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, if there's nothing, uh, do you have any others that you want to talk about before we move on then to our gear? Well, there, there's one I wrote about, actually, that was a QST okay. article a number of years ago. I can't even remember the date, but I I did my longest backpack, which was the John Muir Trail in California. And there are definitely a bunch of soda peaks along that 211 mile stretch. But I was just struggling just to do those miles. And I wasn't going to be taking any side trips at all on that. But the one I absolutely prepared for and wanted to do was at the end when we summit. Uh, uh, we uh, oh, I'm forgetting the name already. The highest point in the lower forty-eight. Uh, oh, is that going to be Whitney? Whitney, excuse me. I said W begins with W. Yikes, Mount Whitney, and certainly got up there and for sunrise and had the rig. But I used that little rig of mine. It was an ATS. And I used it and used it every single day of the 21 days of this trip. Every day I talked to at least somebody in 40 meters or 20 meters many times back in New Mexico. But that morning it wouldn't work. You know? So I didn't get to activate uh, activate the summit. Ah, oh, it's disappointing. That's one that's on my, on my bucket list is Whitney. It's, it's not a simple one, that's for sure. No. A lot of vertical. I may yeah. go back. Uh, I'm thinking about making it up here in the next year or two. To, you got to get a permit, though, and there's, a, there's there's some complications, isn't there? Yeah, I'm not even sure what they are. Uh, but I think I would. I did it as part of the hike I, along the, the PCT there, the JMT. I did it from the west side. But I think I'd like to try something different and do it from the east side. I guess there's some uh, – there are climbs, but they're not uh, – I don't think you need roped up climbs. No, it's a, a trail. Yeah. That's the route I was thinking about taking it. There, there's actually more than just two routes, I think, in fact. But the one oh, yeah. I, is just from Port from Portal, you could drive up to the trailhead. And I think it's like four miles with a lot of elevation gain to the top from there. And you're really high, of course, obviously. Uh, that's the way I expect I'll do it. That's the easy way, right? But you have you can't spend the night up there without a permit. And so you've got to do it round trip. And that's the the high the elevation gain and then the just the the fact that you're so high the elevation itself and and how that affects the body and then the, the mileage for me i don't think i could do it in a day i'd have to i'd have to spend the night up there so 
So uh, yeah, it's a lottery. Uh, Adam says that he knows it's uh, the permit lottery is, is this month. Get your applications in. <laughs> I guess I better. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, any, let's uh, move on. If unless you have anything else to add. No, I guess we can. We'll cover a lot of stuff here. Yeah, we got about 20 minutes to, to cover your gear and some mods and stuff. So let's get into that. Uh, do you want to bring up your the slides now or do you want to do that in a little bit? Yeah, sure. That can that can prompt uh, some questions, I suppose. Let's see. All right. Here's, a, here's my... Can you see that rig in the plastic? Yes. It's That's like my very smallest, lightest radio it's something i've used on multi-day backpack trips because it's only one watt one band uh there's a little rate a little battery at the bottom it's hard to see uh inside it it weighs boy i think it's 17 grams that little battery pack oh wow which for shorter summit activations that's good for a couple summits uh the earbuds there's a pen in there uh I've replaced, this is a little one watt radio made by kits and parts, uh, that they used to sell a $49 kit. It has, I think you, well, you, the way I've, I've wrapped the antenna around it, it's, it's got a, uh, a 20 meter end fed and it, it only tunes about six kilohertz up near 60, uh, 14060, but I use that on a last summer trip at Yosemite up on Half Dome and Clouds Rest, and it worked fine for that. The one watt, uh, I used a basically just some bungee cords with my hiking poles jammed into some rocks, and then I brought about a, a little piece of a carbon fiber pole that extended about six and a half feet and just that was getting my antenna off the ground and it worked well enough uh even from the west coast there to work into europe for at least a couple uh stations so that was very much pleased me and it's uh packaged in that plastic i think it's made for a sandwich this little container but oh, it, yeah it protects it quite a bit too so that was uh that was nice the way that ended up working uh should I go into some other pictures here? Yeah, then? What yeah the sure. Heck? Yeah. Here's a, a three-band trap uh, end-fed antenna, uh, 20, 30, 40, kind of hiding under the rubber band a little bit, just in shrink is one of the traps. They're little, uh, what a lot of guys are building now that are uh, something in the order of about 100 picofarad transmitting or not necessarily transmitting, I guess at low power, but a little uh, capacitor uh, with uh, a coil uh, on a toroid to get it to resonate at the right frequency. So that's uh, also, you see, I use the uh, RCA connectors almost exclusively now. It's okay. uh, just a simple thing. And the little kite winder, right? These little, they're, they're similar to what soda sells. The soda organization soda has these bigger kite, uh, winders, but these I bought, I wanted something even smaller, lighter, of course. Uh, these 
they sell them on eBay or on Amazon, I think, with like 100 feet or 200 feet of kite string on them. So I, I do have a lot of kite string sitting around the house. <laughs> That's, oh, this is a different rig. I think this is my one of my ATS rigs that was re uh, put, uh, put into a this plastic case. The part I'm showing is this little homemade paddle that is retractable. You loosen up the little knurled knob and it goes back in. The pieces are just, I think that's a little piece of spruce wood with some crudely bent brass uh, strips. And, uh, you know, it kind of never gave me any problem, a little paddle like that. It was pretty simple. So so how does it retract? So you, what do you do? You turn the knob and then you bring it, you retract it's, or put it out and then you tighten it to put it where it wants? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Works pretty well. I guess at the top, you see a bit of a, one of these uh, clips. What do they call those kind of clips for paper? I cut a hole in the lid. I mean, it's, it looks a little ugly when a close up, but it's a place to use the top of the rig actually as a little uh, surface to keep my paper log. So it becomes your your clipboard basically on top yeah, of the rig. Right, a binder clip. Uh, one of those pens is a little retractable, uh, one of those space pen types that can work whether it's wet or not. Yeah. Real quick before you go on to this one, do you yeah. have that rig handy or or not? Yeah. Could, yeah. You could show it for, for perspective. Let's see here. I think it's right. Is that it? This is trying to think which rig is that now I that's the rigs <laughs> that's fun. oh yeah here it is okay i do have it handy you want to see if i could show it yeah oh. let's see let's see i need to yeah just, close just... The window i guess is that no just you're fine you're you're white you're full screen oh. right now okay yeah i think the battery's not in there at the moment but uh, here is that little knurled knob with the retractable paddle. I guess a little bit more detail. There's this one has a little. Uh, let's see what I built a lot of little radios here. <laughs> this has sort of a built-in VSW VSWR bridge, a little LED lights, so I can switch it for tuning these typical SWR bridge things and then switch it out for transmitting, get the full power, never injure the, uh, never injure the radio transmitting, uh, transistors. This is just a, one of those typical, uh, M I think it's called MTR two, a two band 20 and 40, the real meat and potatoes band, I guess for soda. Yeah, that's. I don't think they sell those anymore, do they? No, like here is the unmodified version. You know, just the simple little thing. Yeah. Nothing here, just modified again with the RCA. I like them; they're cheap. They're they work. Raise it hop up well. just a little bit higher. There you yeah, go. they work uh, perfectly well at low power. You know, I think the first time I ever saw RCA jacks used for other than audio was inside uh collins equipment for low level stuff and it's like oh if it's good enough for them good enough for me this one's been modified with one of those little tiny swr uh 
indicators that are available. I'm trying to think of the the fellow that does it, KX6. Let's see here. I made a note to try to remember that too. Oh, Ultra Miniature DK3IT. That's what it is. He uh, designed them up and I think he has links to uh, where you can buy the boards. And I think I bought a half dozen of them or so, built them all up and stick them in any rig that really needs SWR uh, protection. Yeah. Uh, Adam says he has an MTR2B, really tiny kit. He says he put his heavy and put the, the case is heavy, so he repackaged his too. Yeah, oh. makes sense. Yeah, he boy, I love. I just remind of some of his videos. I just loved these totally miniature little uh, radio that he used, or he rebuilt a little. Uh, yeah, we might as well just give him a shout out, right? Anybody who who doesn't know who K6ARK is, go to his channel. Yeah. You'll be amazed. He's, he's, he does some great. Uh, uh, engineering feats with his uh with his mind one of my favorites is where he takes the roll of wire hooks it to the fence post and starts walking away until it resonates <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> he's the one who did that uh i think before i use these trap my favorite antenna are these trap and fed trap antennas because they're just instant there's no tuning necessary they just work but before that, I would use this sort of nine to one with a little capacitor in there and could, depending on the length of the wire, tune them on multiple bands. So that was kind of fun. This one was built into one of these plastic uh, 35 millimeter cans that used to be all over the place. Oh, oh here's a picture of this is a, I just love this stuff. When I have an NFED antenna and I launch my end of my wire over a branch or tree or even taller bushes the i don't want the wire to, i extend the end of the antenna probably about 25 feet with this cord uh plenty strong enough but being so bright it's so easy to see and uh it, it makes it so i don't lose what's at the end of my uh I don't lose what's at the end of my, where is it here? All right. At, this is what I used to toss over the tree limbs. I find these, unfortunately, discarded way too many of these on the side of the road. <laughs> Piles of them, unfortunately. I use a rock, but that's that's probably a better because it has a place to hold onto the rope better. <laughs> yes. I used to use rocks until one hit a lower branch and came flying back at me, and I'm running off, running away. Uh, these are sort of perfect size, and they have that great uh, neck on them, so you can that holds the rope. And plus, once you if you've cleaned them out properly, you I use them as my reserve water bottle. And I absolutely have once I fell down once, you know, not a bad fall, just on the way somewhere. And sure enough, my water bottle at the time was one water bottle. I didn't have it in Arizona. It was kind of a hot day, and I think this water in the small container kind of saved my butt that time <laughs> awesome so i'm a fan of those here's a couple of those really tiny 17 yeah. gram battery packs 180 milliamp hours most everything i use has been this 3s or the three cell lithium polymer they seem to just outlast every other thing i've had so very pleased with those uh 
here's a, a different rig I have with my very smallest paddle I ever made. It's brass stock uh, with some these beryllium copper pieces on either side for uh, the dots and dashes. And it, that also is a retractable thing that's on the bottom. So that's pretty cool. That's similar to the uh, teeny key, I think it's called, but yes, uh, but much smaller. Yes, definitely smaller. You know, it's not that every gram counts that much, but uh, here's sort of the uh, repurpose that same MTR sort of set up to go how I keep a piece of paper on there so I can log things. I just haven't done the electronic logging almost ever. I'm looking at that, and I, what is that? What's on the left there? The yellow oh, and white rails. It helps me remember people's names of the common chasers. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a list of all the, your common chasers there, huh? Well, I guess the most common I remember, but then there's some yeah. less than common that I occasionally uh, get the names wrong. So, anyway, that was my my reason for doing that. I like to have that. That, that this one also has that tuning built into it for a uh, multi-band operation. And let's see. Let's what see. Else? Here's a inside view of that same thing. Yeah. yeah. So which, which uh, radio is this here? So that, so the, the green this board. The MTR2. That's still the MP, MP, MTR2. Okay. Yeah. And then you have the below that is the, uh, is the tuning unit. The below that is that uh, SWR bridge deal in the tuning yes the tuning knobs on the opposite side up here in the top left is the uh 81 to 1 deal and uh let's see here i think i in this case i i have that paddle i removed it and flipped it around for transporting it yeah that one looks like it comes out a lot bigger battery pack here the whole 500 milliamp hours wow you're going crazy yeah i i am sometimes surprised by what people haul into the back country you know huge batteries that weigh many times more than the entire rig and station i have i really am a fan of these jst connectors that the rc guys use yeah so two two comments real quick before you move on those connectors i like them too and i know there's other people that do when you when you're going really small those are great um uh, another comment though on i i know what you're saying exactly when people go into the back country the size that sometimes they take um the other side of that coin is i know for example k6 kr7rk keith here in arizona he yeah. actually likes to take bigger gear just because it helps with his exercise and stuff like that and so you know yeah. it's 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 all about who you are and 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 uh, what you like right yeah I, I i had one activation with keith that was really fun uh had a fair amount of off trail that was picking our way over the rocks and boulders to get to the top what i remember so well from that activation was our packs we had similar size packs except mine was way lighter than his I didn't know it at the time until he pulls out like this big roll of coax and a pole and a hundred watt amplifier and huge batteries and a, and a rig, a much bigger rig. But it was, uh, he did some fine operating. I think that was a, a particular activation where he worked 
New Zealand on three bands. So, you yeah, know, his system he, worked pretty well. He's a beast and he's a great yeah. operator, both. Yep, for sure. Yep. All the yep. way. Yep. Let's see. Should I see what other picture I saved? I guess we saw that already and that and that. Well, I think we saw all my pictures. <laughs> great. Well, uh, let's see. Let me uh, bring this back up then and uh, a couple more comments. Um, I think we saw this one. These N NM5S builds are fantastic. Total purple, total purple purpose builds. And then he says he especially likes the uh, homebrew paddle designs you have. And uh, so that's pretty cool. So uh, in the chat, if you have any questions for Alan, we have a, just a few more minutes. And Alan, do you have any of your other things that you don't have pictures of, but you still some some of your mods that you can show on the on the camera? Uh, well. Hey, there's one story. I, I hope it's quick enough here. It's fine. No, no hurries. I mean, we'll be fine. Uh, we can go uh, over. I was doing uh, early on. I was doing. I had this idea to do a backpack, just a one night, and there was two summits that were separated by about four miles of trail. Never been to any of these things, uh, but I get to the first summit in kind of mid afternoon and start setting up. And at this time I was using one of those Elecraft T1 auto tuners to make things work. And I got my wire up and I go to hook up and I'm missing the cable that hooks the oh, no. RF cable, coax cable that hooks the rig to the coupler. And it's like, oh God, this isn't good. You know, uh, all for nothing, you know? And I, so I kind of just sit down and relax and I, I decide I'm gonna have some lunch and as I'm opening up, I had used, made a sandwich and used the last two pieces of bread and, and used that actual plastic bag. And I untied the metal tie and ate my sandwich. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I have some metal and it's might be maybe long enough. And it was, and I kind of folded it over so it would fit the inside of an RCA and kind of, uh, I didn't use tape, but I think I used some rubber bands to hold the rig to the coupler. And then I was able to, with the right pressure, I was able to use that wire tie to tie those two together and made my contacts. You MacGyvered it. I MacGyvered it, yes. And awesome. It, it worked well enough. So I said, I'm going on to the next summit. And I did it again the next morning to That's actually awesome. the second summit. So it was cool. quite an adventure. Cool. All right. Well, um, do you have anything else sitting there uh, that you've made mods to that you want to show? Uh, I guess here's a very simple thing I started to use. Uh, I was looking for a nice case to hold all my stuff. And uh, I, I saw these padded, I had a padded lunchbox and it finally wore away and I tossed it and I was walking through Walmart and saw these and couldn't find another padded lunchbox but I found this uh, first aid kit <laughs> and just took everything out and said, wait a minute, that's the perfect size. So I was very happy. I, it's just enough padding in a pack to make things work. It's got little areas inside for things. So yeah, I do things a little differently now. I'm, I wear hearing aids, so I, I actually use some folding headphones instead of the earbuds most of the time now. Okay. A little trick that uh, Fred Moss showed me, whiskey soda, 
was to build a the little little transformer, little eighty-one to one inside a dental floss container. Fred uses oh, those oh. a lot. He's he is the expert on miniaturization. Boy, the, he's a real craftsman. It's been uh, a real benefit to me to see what he does. So cool. I well, all right. I, I can squeeze in maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Alan. Well, uh, I really appreciate you coming on board. As soon as we end the show, if you hang on so I can talk to you a little bit after after we our live ends, uh, I'd appreciate it. But I'm going to I'm going to do an impromptu thing here. If Tim uh, K5DEZ is uh, is uh, not going to be too shocked, but I'd like to bring him on and say hi real quick. And uh, cuz he's in the chat. So uh, hey. How you doing, Tim? Let's see if you're un if you're unmuted. There we go. Good, good. How are you guys? Doing Hi, good. Hi, uh, it's been so. Tim was on an episode a long time ago, our first season of El Portable Discussion Zone. So, uh, welcome him back real quick and say hi. So, I just wanted to, since you were in here, I just wanted to say hi to you. Yeah, I just yeah. happened to get the uh, the link from Alan's on our W five soda site for the local kind of the local guys here. And I said, yeah. hmm, I wonder if that works. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's good to see you, Tim. All right. Yeah. So, all right. So let's let's uh, go ahead then and uh, end the show. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. Uh, I really appreciate uh, this. So Jason, Ham Radio 2.0, uh, many of you know him. He's he's live probably by now, right now. So uh, go on over to his station and, and uh, check him out. And then, of course, again, check out Adam's uh, channel. He has some great stuff. And uh, we'll see you here again in two weeks, I think. We'll be talking, some, I think, a little bit about some CW stuff and have somebody, a guest on who's a, a really good, proficient CW operator. So uh, anything, any last depart, departing uh, remarks, Alan? Oh, thanks, Charlie, for your efforts. This is uh, a, a great thing for the community. It's, it's just... Uh, really enjoyed a lot of those videos i don't know how how you hold your arm out there so long for some of those videos you shoot on the way up the mountain but uh <laughs> well, I don't know. really enjoyed it we just figured it out okay alan we'll we'll see you again and, and and it's my hope that sometime in the future we uh do a joint activation so uh, keep that in mind if you're ever in, t in town okay we'll do we'll do i'll be back to southern arizona okay catch you guys later everybody who's watching and uh, again we'll uh we'll see you in two weeks bye-bye Good night.